Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast presented by Salesforce. This is going to be a different kind of podcast, a fairly somber podcast, in which we spent quite a bit of time discussing the injury and the impact uh, of that injury to DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo safety who, as we record this, 24 hours after the injury to DeMar Hamlin on the field in Cincinnati, uh, Hamlin is on a ventilator. His uncle has just told NFL Network that he's on a ventilator, but he has gone from needing 100% oxygen to 50% oxygen, uh, which obviously is progress. Uh, so as we wait for more news, and that news probably will be forthcoming even before you listen to this podcast, I thought it would be best this week to basically get you up to speed about what exactly happened to DeMar Hamlin on the field in Cincinnati. And uh, we are going to begin the podcast with my conversation this week with Mike Ryan, the NBC sports medicine analyst. Uh, he's a former head athletic trainer in the NFL. And I think you will learn a lot from listening to my 18 minutes with Mike Ryan about what exactly happened and what he thinks is the near-term future uh, for uh, DeMar Hamlin. So, Miles, let's let's basically before I go to Mike Ryan, I just I want to just explain what we're going to do in this podcast, and you know we're going to start after we listen to Mike Ryan for full discussion on DeMar Hamlin from the shock of what we saw, the NFL's decision to postpone it, the NFL's decision on Tuesday, just hours after or hours before we record this, to not play the game this week. And while I think, why I think they probably won't play it at all, uh, does this say anything about the danger of the sport? And does this say that, uh, which look, I've harangued about the 17 game schedule and now anytime I hear uh, the talk of an 18-game schedule, to me, it is nails on the chalkboard. After we discuss everything about Hamlin, we're going to get into a few things on the back end of the pod uh, about this uh, last weekend of the NFL season. Uh, will the Hamlin injury affect this weekend? Uh, you know, are some players going to be affected by it? Is there any way that one of the 1,690 active players in the NFL this weekend might say to his coach, I just can't go. I can't do it. I think that's something to watch out for. We're going to break down the NFL's game 272 decision 
Is it fair to let Detroit and Green Bay close the season just because the league very much wants a win and in game with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, and we'll talk about the Jaguars and Titans in the Saturday night game. And Miles and I will each pick the seventh seeds in the AFC and the NFC. Miles, um, crazy week so far. And I'm sure you join me in offering up all prayers and good wishes uh, for the health of our Hamlin. Absolutely, Peter. Yeah, that that is what I would certainly start with, you know, with all prayers and thoughts and good vibes in the universe. If that's what you believe, you know, to Hamlin, to his family, uh, to his teammates, to all those who, who love and care about him. And, and you know, also to the, to the Buffalo staff, you know, and, and the people who are in that building every day. And, and really care about those players. Um, you know, I, and, you know, even to the, the Cincinnati Bengals and, and their staff and their, their organization, but, you know, I, I spent five years working for the Rams first in St. Louis and then in Los Angeles. And, you know, when you are working for a team, you, you do get to know those players every day and being around them every day is a special thing. And, you know, from, the training staff to you know people who work in the media department and you get to know those guys and you really get to care about those guys. I, I cannot imagine how devastating that was uh, to experience what they did on Monday night and then having to fly home to Buffalo after that. I, I, I the emotions must be you know overwhelming. So yeah, my my thoughts are with them for for sure today. We'll get into a little bit more, a lot more of Demar Hamlin. Uh, but I decided this sort of flies in the face of what we normally do on this podcast, which is uh, Miles and I will speak for a while about issues of the day, then have the conversation in the middle, and then uh, we'll talk about a few more issues on the back end. But I just thought that let's let Mike Ryan, uh, NFL's uh, sports medicine specialist, uh, let's just let Mike Ryan basically walk us through not only the injury, but what we will expect next. Here's my conversation with Mike Ryan, recorded early Tuesday evening. Happy to be joined now by Mike Ryan. Uh, Mike, I know in your job as a former head athletic trainer in the National Football League, you have seen firsthand what happens on the sidelines during games uh, how injuries are treated, how many medical personnel or are, are on site for, for every game. As you watch the game on Monday night, where DeMar Hamlin obviously was seriously injured, take me through what you were thinking. Well, I saw it as obviously a play that wasn't too uh, concerning, a normal hit, something you would see multiple times on almost any given play, if you will. But when I saw the players stay down, that was a concern. But when I saw the Bills staff come out and attend to him, and, and Dr. Tom White, who's a great internal medicine doctor for the Bills, I saw him, he was kind of facing the camera, and I saw the sense of urgency that he went into. And I immediately turned to my son, and I said, something's wrong. This is something out of the normal. And they, they went into the mode, and uh, you could tell right then there was a sense of urgency. Something wasn't the normal, get the wind knocked out of it. And, and I thought the Bills medical staff, uh, Nate Bresky is the head athletic trainer, and he's a great one as well. Uh, they really kicked in. I thought they did a great job of managing, a, obviously, a life-threatening condition. And handling it textbook is something that 
NFL athletic trainers and physicians practice uh, on a regular basis for instances, as we saw last night on Monday Night Football? So what you saw, how much can you see by these quick little shots on television? You probably can't tell everything. Like, no. could you, did you see any evidence of CPR being performed? I did not. I, I, you heard it later on, obviously, vantage point on the other side of the camera compared to for Thursday night football and Sunday night football, I'd be on the sideline and seeing things in person and having that vantage point is, is much more advantageous for this. But I couldn't see a lot of what they were doing. Uh, I, I thought ESPN did a great job of showing this, the, the players and you could see in their faces indirectly the serious nature of what was going on in the field. And uh, I thought uh, um, Lisa did a great job of Lisa Salter giving the reports and saying what she was seeing. And you're kind of getting it second person, but you could tell from, first of all, the, the nature and urgency that the medical staff and the Bills had and the Bengals. There's a, there's a great cohesion between visiting team and home team to take care of players like this. But then obviously the time it took, the player was down, the ambulance coming on the field, and then the reports that kind of trickled in. You could tell this wasn't a normal injury. Uh, and the serious nature was uh, was obvious in the face of everyone there. Mike, we talked a little bit earlier today and you explained a little bit to me about once you heard that DeMar Hamlin's heart had stopped, you sort of put two and two together. And I realize it's always dangerous and and not the greatest thing to do to try to put yourself in the position of someone who was actually there on the scene. But explain if you can, what happens to someone or what can happen to someone if they have blunt force trauma in the chest about, it, 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 it sounds odd, but that actually can make a person's heart stop quite literally. Can you explain why that is? It's a, it's a condition they call commotio codis, where it's, it's, it's called disruption of the heart, which is exactly what happens, where the heart has four chambers and it contracts in a very sequenced manner and it's very intricate no matter how fast it's beating and it's in the same sequence. Well, with trauma to it and it kind of shocks it and the electrical shock to that heart is off, if you will. And if that heart isn't functioning the way it should, we, we saw the instance where DeMar stood up and then fell over. So obviously it's a really serious nature, but trauma to that, we don't see it happen that often, but a high school less than a mile from here at my physical therapy clinic in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, uh, a lacrosse player took a lacrosse ball to the chest and the exact same thing happened. And they had to shock that person to bring them back to life, but it can happen. It happens more than we think. And it's, it's something that when you're in a situation and I can't talk about DeMar's scenario per se, but I've run out on an NFL field many times and find unconscious players and you go through this ABC. And the first thing is the airway. Is the airway open allowing the person to breathe? The second is breathing. Are they breathing? And second is circulation. Those things, for obvious reasons, trump any kind of orthopedic issue. So when you go out there, that's really the first thing you look at. And you go through that checklist of if suddenly A, B, and C it isn't there, that's when the medical personnel and the training consistently with NFL athletic trainers and physicians and paramedics that's when they kick into the mode that we got to restore A, B, and C. And, and that's exactly what we saw happen last night. Mike, in this particular case, of course, we don't know what happened. But when you hear that uh, DeMar's heart stopped and it 
it, it had to be restarted on the field. Does that mean that a person whose heart stopped would have also stopped breathing? Eventually it would, yes. Yes, because if you're not getting the circulation and you're not feeding the blood to the brain, the brain can't control the organs and breathing, diaphragm included. So that sequence can happen. You can have someone that you know, has, has some breathing for a short period of time if the heart's not working, but if the heart's not working, um, you can have real problems. And conversely, you can have a heart breathing pumping, but you're not breathing because the airway's closed. So the heart is what triggers everything. And, and obviously having circulation, restoring that circulation is paramount. And I think in this instance of NFL settings where they have emergency physicians, they have obviously team physicians, athletic trainers, they have an airway, they have neurologists, the UNC's there. It's almost a perfect scenario where if you have a really bad situation like this, cardiac issues included, you have amazing personnel right there within 40 yards of you to start the treatment. I think with Damar, I think that the treatment on him started about 25 seconds after impact. That's amazing. That's not going to happen uh, to someone that you know falls on the street or falls off a ladder at home or has an issue. So to have that medical personnel to take care of those issues in a very timely manner, because for obvious reasons, time is crucial when, when you have a, a heart that's in cardiac arrest. Who would have been likely to actually do the CPR and would it have been done manually or with a machine? Um, it would have probably been done manually. Um, I don't know in this instance, but a lot of times it would be the head athletic trainer or the internist. The orthopedic surgeon tends to deal with the muscles and joints and bones. The internist tends to be a little bit more skilled towards the internal things, the, uh, the emergency care thing. So um, a lot of times, not talking about last night, the internal medicine specialist would probably start that with the head athletic trainer, the obviously manual compressions, but with, as far as the, the influx of air, you can do it manually. A lot of times you use what they call an Ambu bag, which is a piece that would fit over and it's a bag. So you can kind of control the breathing. It's a little bit more of a sterile situation. Um, but when stuff like that happens, I, I've done CPR, not on NFL players, but when you got to get air into the lungs and get that heart breathing and get those compressions, uh, you do whatever you have to um, uh, ASAP. Is it your feeling that uh, that the other one of the other things that you'd have to look out for in a situation like that uh, is an internal injury, either to the heart or to something else? And and how do you judge that in such an urgent situation? A absolutely, because the secondary issues that was uh, you know major trauma to the chest to the point where the heart stopped. Other issues, other uh, organs, uh, a collapsed lung, a broken. Um, broken rib, uh, a ruptured spleen. There's a lot of things that can go on with this, but there's kind of a hierarchy of what you deal with. And first thing first, preserve life. You know, and, and that's the main thing. Get them stable, get them transport, get those things. So once they got to the hospital, he's he was listed in critical condition and he still is, which by definition, critical condition in a hospital setting means his vital signs are not yet stable. And that could be anything from respiratory. He could still be sedated and be unconscious. Uh, blood pressure may be off. All those things for obvious reason is pretty understandable them to be off. So to still be in a critical condition and understanding it that way uh, makes it a little bit more obvious. But once you get him stable, you start looking for those other issues. Like we talked uh, earlier today, Peter, about a college player who had a very similar issue and his aortic um, artery was partially ripped off the top of his heart from a, a, just a blow to the chest in a practice. Um, so things like that can happen. So in that situation, especially a level one trauma center, which has the best of those surgeons and, and medical personnel and operating room staff that are there 24 seven. 
not someone you have to call or on call and they're going to get there an hour. They're there at the hospital 24-7. And that's one of the important criteria for a level one trauma center. And I think in the scenario we saw last night, getting them there, having that communication and getting to look at both his heart and getting that stable. And like you said, look at those secondary injuries. Um, that happened very, very quickly last night. Mike, as we record this, it's exactly 21 hours after this event happened. And I have heard a lot of sentiment during the day today on Tuesday. Oh, why aren't we hearing anything? This is that that can't be good news. And you said something to me earlier today that I'd really like you because who knows, events of the day can be overtaken. And by the time people listen to this, there's going to be more out. But why, in your opinion, would you not be necessarily worried at not hearing something for hours during a day like this? Well, a part of it is their job isn't the public opinion per se. Their job is to stabilize tomorrow. And I think that's a higher priority than getting that information out. So everybody wants to know, but first things first, take care of the player and take care of the patient. So I think that's important. Uh, the other thing I think is getting all those other things there and getting everything else stable and getting the family in the loop and getting all that there, that, that becomes a really important thing because the, the shock and the scare that everyone had, teammates included, family members, his mother was in the stands watching that, to kind of take care of them and to not worry about the necessarily the updates through the media, even though you and I both work in the media, I, I think that's something that they're going to prioritize. And, and from now on, you're going to see very strategic reports from the team, what the information they give out. And, and obviously, one of the things they want to do is make sure they give out good information and positive information compared to saying, oh, his blood pressure dropped or something else there. So it really becomes less important for them to share that message until they have some information. And hopefully that's good news very soon. Don't you also think, Mike, and this occurred to me thinking about it today, knowing absolutely nothing about medicine, but wouldn't the trauma that this player took be so major and so significant and so harmful to the body that isn't part of the benefit of being sedated and being intubated for a while to help a person breathe, isn't part of the benefit of that to simply let's let the trauma die down a bit. Let's, let's, let's let this body rest after undergoing the most traumatic thing it's ever been through. Absolutely. Getting him sedated and quiet down, because again, Two seconds before that impact, he was an elite NFL player. So when a player wakes up with that, I've, I've had players and you look in their eyes and you're stabilizing their spine and going through your evaluation or going through things like this, they get very frantic and panicked. And that movement and that increased agitation, increased blood pressure is not going to make the metal con condition better. So yes, I agree. There are a lot of ways sedating a player to get things stable so they could do a, an evaluation. And, and it's also a good thing for the player because this is a very stressful situation. If he wakes up and you know, all the things around him, he's in a whole different setting. Um, yeah, there's a lot of concern and stress for the player. So sometimes the sedation to get the answers, let the medical staff do their job and to kind of be um, understanding of the player to allow him to relax properly. Uh, in a lot of ways, a sedation like this is a win-win. Mike, have you ever had to deal with an athlete in your time 
you know, as a, as I said at the top, you're an NFL head athletic trainer. Have you ever had to deal with a situation at all like this where a player's heart has stopped? I have not. I've had uh, a handful of players who've had hits on the field and be unconscious. Uh, thank God they all had an, uh, an airway open. They were breathing. We stabilized and they came to. Some had temporary paralysis. That uh, Thank God all, all came back as well. But I've never had to be involved with having to do CPR on an NFL player uh, in that situation. So I, I really have a great respect for the Bills medical staff and how they handle that because they made it look easy in the flow of that. But that's that's not an easy thing to do. And And also when you're in a player, he was on his back, you get good view of the lungs. But when you get someone with a hit like that and he's face down and now you have to kind of get under him to look through the face mask to see if they're breathing, you've got equipment to work with. It's not a perfect setting. You got the other players around there. So it's a setting that's very um, non-ideal to get that kind of information quickly. Um, so I, I've been in situations like that, but not where the CPR was required. Um, so I know how difficult situation. It makes it that much more uh, impressive what the bills, the Bengal staff did, uh, the emergency medical staff. Because remember, that's the same staff that took care of Tua on that Thursday night game. Right. So right. That, that, the paramedics there were very well-versed. Uh, and taking care of NFL players and dealing with that kind of setting. And I think it all showed last night in a positive way. Mike, the last thing I would ask you is, look, you don't know, I don't know, but you certainly know more than 99.9% uh, .9 of the people would know. As you sit here right now and consider DeMar Hamlin and what your gut feeling is about how this uh, injury was handled and what his future might be. Do you have a gut feeling? Well, I, I think if I did, it would be more speculative, but I, I can tell you this, Peter, I've had many players like I referenced earlier that had serious injuries um, that I've had to sit down with them. And, I, and what I would do is I'd sit down behind closed doors, just one-on-one -on -one and have a conversation and, and, and just kind of reflect on things. I've had players that say to me that one guy who was paralyzed from the neck down short term and everything came back. And we sat down, we talked when he got back from the hospital and he said to me, started crying. And he said, I just want to hold my children. I just want to live a normal life. And in instances like this, put that reality right in front of their face. So I think he's going to have a hard decision to make. What I hope is he has the ability to make decisions either way. But I think right now it's so early on. First things first, get him stable, getting back to normal life. I, I think that's putting the cart way too far in front of the horse. But, but I think having those decisions and having those conversations um, is something that, um, that he will have down the road, but uh, it's a tough decision, but first things first, get him stable, get him out of the hospital, try to put all these issues, both physically and mentally behind him. And, and hopefully that's the decision he's faced with. Mike Ryan, sports medicine analyst for NBC sports. We're a lot smarter for uh, having you uh, talk to us for the last 15 minutes, Mike. Thank you. My pleasure, Peter. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because I the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. For the world's greatest athletes. 
This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. So good to have somebody as smart and also as experienced in what it's like to work in the medical field inside the NFL which Mike Ryan did basically for two decades. Um, so we're grateful to him for, for breaking, the, breaking that down. Miles, I, I would like to just go over a few things about the Hamlin uh, incident and also uh, what it sort of means going forward in the NFL. Look, we're all shocked. We all understand that you know, there's a good chance that the NFL probably waited a little bit too long. But at the end of the day, I, I can't get too upset that, uh, you know, 66 minutes after the uh, the play on the field happened and after talking to everyone who had anything to do with this, the NFL finally said, look, there's going to be no game tonight. Uh, I, again, I, I've heard a lot of the outrage uh, tone deafness, all that kind of stuff. But I just think back to the NFL's COVID year in 2020. And sometimes I used to uh, kind of get frustrated that, you know, why hasn't the league made this call yet? This seems so obvious. Hmm. And I remember somebody who's close to Roger Goodell at the time just saying, look, Roger's the type of leader who's not going to make a decision until he has to. And I mm -hmm. think if I'm thinking about last night, um, I think he wanted to hear from all parties. He wanted to hear from the NFL PA. He wanted to hear from the two coaches. He wanted to hear from Donna Ponte, the NFL's director of football operations on the scene. Uh, and at the end of the day, I can't get too outraged um, about how long it took uh, to call this game. Your thought, Miles? Yeah, the, the right decision was reached. And for me, the, the process question is not necessarily as important as the result. You know, I, we all heard the five minutes to play. And I think sometimes there's standard operating procedure, right? And, and usually when we see an injury, and I, and I can think back to a great example, the, to a tongue of Iloa, fencing response injury that happened right. on that same field a few months ago, right? The, the, the start of play happened all five minutes later after he exited the field on a backboard. So that is kind of the standard operating procedure, but it was just in that particular situation that we saw where somebody has administered CPR on the field. It makes it a completely different thing. That's not standard. That's not something that we are used to seeing on a football field. It, it frankly is not something that any of us are really equipped to handle. So, however, they got to you know, the, the eventual result of this game is not going to be resumed tonight. I'm kind of all right with it. You know, it's yeah. we, we live in a world at this point where we crave immediacy. And that is yeah. in part because of social media and everything. And yes, things can seem obvious, but there sometimes is a process of things that you go through. And it 
I think it was pretty clear from the time that both of those teams went back into the locker room that no more football was going to be played tonight, right? But it, was there longer for an announcement to be to happen? Sure, I, but that you know they they got to the right result, and and I think that's what's important. The NFL announced in mid afternoon on Tuesday that this game would not be played this week. Look, I believe this game is not going to be played, yeah. but. Uh, the NFL announced the game would not be played this week, at least. You have any problem with that? No, not at all. Um, I, you know, this is one of those situations where, especially because it was on Monday night, where you already are giving these two teams a short week to prepare for the last week of the season, which is still sensibly important for both of those teams and was going to be important regardless of the outcome of that game, you know, for playoff seating and things like that. But you know, I mean, how I don't know how you would make that game up and then then ask them to go play in week 18, especially, you know, the way these two teams are right now. I, I, I have no problem with that at all. Peter, do you? Uh, zero problem at all uh, with it, uh, mainly because uh, in order to play the game this week, you would either have to tell the teams that we're going to play. Cincinnati and Buffalo, which Cincinnati was going to play Baltimore. Buffalo was going to play New England. You'd have to tell, theoretically, Baltimore and New England, oh, hold on, you're not playing this week, and we're not sure when you're going to play. And yeah. then you'd basically probably push everything back one week and either eliminate the bye week and thus eliminate any Pro Bowl festivities I mean, look, I, the Pro Bowl is a, oh, that's a, an absolute mishmash of nothingness. Yeah. But but be that as it may, I'm sure there are contracts with Las Vegas and they've got things that they're uh, contractually obligated to do on that weekend. But who knows? I don't know what they're going to do. But as of now, it just seems a little bit, uh, a little bit unlikely. Uh, <laughs> It seems just a little bit far-fetched. That might be too big a word uh, to to think of playing this game again. Yeah, I just think. Look, I said this a lot today in my 948 media appearances. That I think back two and a half years to the COVID emergency of 2020, mm -hmm. when even when the NFL. Uh, announced its schedule it really had absolutely no idea whether they were going to play the schedule in full or not yeah. and so at this point there was a, a 16 game season in those days that was the last year of the 16 game season and as somebody with the league told me during my reporting for that look it's not the biggest problem in the world if one team plays 14 games five teams play 12 some teams play 16, you know, it's just, there's really a lot of times you're kind of tilting at windmills. It's futile to fight against things like this a lot. So I just think that it makes the most sense to not play this game. Uh, and Buffalo and Cincinnati would then play 16 games this year and everybody else would play 17. Yeah. And I think that that makes totally good sense, given what the circumstances are, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, I, I heard you talking about that um, with Mike Florio this morning on Pro Football Talk Live, where 
it it does harken back to that COVID season and it just was going to be one of those things that happened. And it's kind of out of anybody's control, right? And that's really what this is at this point. It, it's not something that was avoidable or something that was intentional. It just is one of those things that has happened now. And so that to me seems like the proper way to deal with it. Miles, does this injury say anything about the danger of football as a sport? Is there anything going forward that you believe the NFL should do uh, about this? Or do you believe this is, in essence, just a tragic one-off? Well, I, I'll i say this. I, I hope it's a tragic one-off because, I mean, you know, I'm, I've not been doing this nearly as long as you have, Peter. But, I mean, I've never seen anything like that on a field where somebody has to be administered CPR that that when I saw that tweet the first time I had seen something about CPR I saw it on Twitter from Jay Skirsky of um, the Buffalo News and that rocked me to my core I, 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 I just I didn't even know how to react to that because that means you are performing life-saving measures and right. as as many times as we've seen catastrophic injuries on the field right usually at a certain point, even when there's some sort of backboard, the player will attempt to give a thumbs up or, you know, something will happen where we hear a minute or two after they leave the field, or maybe it's five minutes that they have feeling in their extremities and they're being transported to hospital and those kinds of things. It was very clear that we weren't going to hear that about Hamlin and it was very frightening. And like I said, it, it, it rocked me to my core and I'm, I'm still shook up and, you know, it almost makes me emotional talking about it, but it's the, because of the play that it happened on what looks so routine, you know, yeah. T Higgins is just driving his way and trying to get extra yards and you see Hamlin and he's trying to make a tackle and then he gets up and he just collapses to the ground. It, I, I, because it looks so routine, you're, and you know, I, as much football as I watched over the course of the weekend, be it college or pro, I mean, how many times did I see something that looked exactly like that, and this was not the result? I mean, I, I don't really know, Peter. I, I don't know, but it, it I'll tell you, it, it frightened me, it, and it still does. Here's the problem with trying to legislate something out of this let's let's be blunt about it this is the first time that a player had to be administered cpr on an nfl field in a quarter century the last time was reggie brown of the detroit lions in 1997 over more than 25 years ago so i think it's a little dangerous if you know if if someone is killed in a in a pedestrian if if a pedestrian is hit on your street and it's the first fatality on your street uh in anyone's memory should you put speed bumps on the street and lower the speed limit to 12 miles an hour or, or you know whatever uh betterments you could make there probably not but but again I don't close the door. The only thing that I was thinking of today, and actually my wife said it to me, um, you know, she talked about in, in essence, and this is, she didn't use these words, but in essence, a better breastplate hmm. for players, yeah. which it will not surprise me if players now want to be protected currently on the shoulder pads, 
you are basically, you know, most shoulder pads might have a plate here, basically right, right across the upper breast, right. the sternum, but it doesn't really go down very far. And it looked like where T. Hagen's hit, um, you know, with his shoulder hard into uh, into Demar was right in the middle of his chest. Now, you know, I have not looked at it in super slow motion, but perhaps, perhaps some players now who want to be dressed in basically bedroom slippers, that's, you know, they don't want anything. They don't want an extra ounce on them. Yeah. But it wouldn't surprise me if some players now asked for more protection around where the breastplate is. But to me, look, <clears throat> my two takeaways about sort of injury and the NFL. Number one, uh, that I think it's absolutely categorically insane for the NFL to consider 18 games. Yeah. Do not tell me one more time how much you care about the players and about the health of the players. And you add 60 more snaps on each side of the ball, potential to get seriously injured. It, it just, it's, it don't even, don't tell me, just don't tell me. If you do it, I'm going to know exactly who you are, period. Now, players have to agree to that too. Players should just say, we're going on strike if you uh, intend to implement an 18th game, or we're just, that's non-negotiable for us, period, end of story. Anything else by the players, they're at fault too. That's number one. Number two, a couple of years ago, uh, I did a, I did probably 30 interviews for a long podcast I did on the efficacy of helmets and what's next with helmets. And at the time, the thing that encouraged me the most is the fact that the NFL is now into uh, deep research on position-specific helmets yeah. to the point that I am convinced that the two times this season, the two Atangavaloa's head snapped back on the turf in the first time early in the year in week four in Cincinnati. And then just the last time uh, this past weekend, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, two uh, week and a half ago now. But I think it's important to realize that every player has a different spot on the helmet that needs to be fortified. Mm -hmm. And for a quarterback, that spot is on the back of the helmet. And either, you know, more padding on the interior part of the back of the helmet, and maybe you push the, the back out a little bit. So it looks a little bit different than the current helmet. But those are the two things, you know, draw the line in the sand, no 18th game, and then do a better job and hustle to get position specific helmets um you know made and given as an option to every player in the NFL. I do want to say one other thing and it has to do with mental health. And the NFL on Tuesday afternoon sent out a memo to all NFL team CEOs, presidents GMs and head coaches. Uh, so basically every person of authority in the NFL got this memo. 
And the memo had a couple of reasons. Number one, to to say essentially, we're not playing this week. We're not playing this game this week. But the other part of it that was very interesting is they said, listen, we want every team's uh, director of player engagement and whatever you might call your mental health resource person to know that our chief uh, in the mental health area, Dr. Niaka Nilamti, has basically been in touch with every one of them and said, if any of your players have questions or need help, uh, please avail them of that help this week at your site. And if you need any further assistance, call us and we will either delegate someone to help or we'll give you advice on it. And I think that is hugely important because like I said, I think there's a chance that there are going to be some players. Think of it, Miles. There's 1,690 players who are on active rosters right now in the NFL. I cannot believe that 1,690 players are raring to go right now about playing this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you could see what you saw on Monday night and, you know, knowing what the players on Cincinnati's team and on Buffalo's team also saw and have been dealing with for the last 24 hours and st- and not have any sort of feelings about that. And, and, you know, I, and I say that knowing that football players are amazing at compartmentalizing because yeah. I mean, how many times do we see, and you know, a, a player gets hurt, a player has a terrible injury and, you know, whether it's in practice and it's like move the drill or it's in a game yeah. and that player goes off on a cart and then we have to keep playing. And like I said, the coaches, players, they are amazing at compartmentalizing, but there, there comes a point where you almost can't. And even though the business of football was still churning, you know, on Tuesday, there were teams having practices, you know, teams, certain teams had press conferences, things were still moving, you know, players were going to tryouts and things like that. But I don't know how that can't be in the back of your mind, you know, as you're still going through things this week. Totally agree. Miles, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a few football things in the final few minutes of the Peter King Podcast presented by Salesforce. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. If your child is struggling in school, then IXL is right for your family. IXL is an online learning program for kids that covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. It's no wonder it's used in 95% of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Plus, a month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com 20. Visit IXL.com 20 to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. 
With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Back on the Peter King podcast presented by Salesforce. You know, Miles, there's three or four things that I think, and obviously there is no easy segue after spending 40 or 45 minutes on um, on, on this incredibly sad uh, DeMar Hamlin story. But let's try to push the ball forward just a little bit in our remaining time. I want to start with... Uh, you know, the the whole idea right now, as we go down the stretch of this season, about whether the NFL made the right schedule for this last weekend of the season. And I know it's a, uh, you know, wow, who cares uh, thing, but there's a lot of people, uh, especially on certain teams, uh, who are not happy with the way the schedule was made. I think I know why the schedule was made the way it was, but let's focus on two specific things. Number one, the NFL's decision on game 272, the final game of the season, the Sunday night game on NBC. The NFL had two choices. They could put on Tennessee and Jacksonville for the AFC South championship, or they could put on Detroit at Green Bay. And if they put on Detroit at Green Bay, they risk because this is a win and in game for the Green Bay Packers. It might be a win and in game for the Detroit Lions, but only if the Rams go to Seattle and beat the Seahawks in a game in the earlier window in this one. So there's a lot of people who believe that this is unfair, competitively unfair, that you shouldn't have the Lions playing after. Uh, that game, you should have that game being played simultaneous to the Seattle LA game because how hard are the are the Lions going to try against the Green Bay Packers if they know they have nothing to play for? How do you look at it, Miles? Well, I think it's a big job for Dan Campbell to make sure that his team is properly motivated. And frankly, I think if there's anybody who can do that, it is Dan Campbell. You know, I mean, this is the guy that came out talking about biting kneecaps in his introductory press conference. And he said on Monday that, you know, he, and this is before the schedule finally came out, but he said it's either going to be a win and in for us or we're going to be playing spoiler. And I think that if anybody can get his team up for playing spoiler against Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau Field, I, I, I do think it's Dan Campbell. But I, I also think that it's probably not the right move from a competitive balance schedule standpoint to not have Detroit and Green Bay and then Los Angeles and Seattle playing at the same time. It, it It is a decision that is pretty clearly focused on television ratings, which I understand that I, I do. And, you know, having Aaron Rodgers in primetime at Lambeau Field trying to make it into the postseason. Yeah, that that is obviously a compelling story. But at the same time, you know, when you, you look at it from a competitive balance standpoint, that it really kind of isn't right. It isn't right. I'm going to tell you why I believe this decision was made. Um, the Tennessee Titans 
are as have plummeted like a stone in the last six weeks. It, I'd say an anvil. It's amazing how bad they look. And I think the NFL for the crown jewel of week 18 did not want to put a game between a red hot Jacksonville team. I'll tell you, this is the weirdest storyline of this year. Not only that Jacksonville is playing to play a home, playing a game to play a home playoff game, but that the entire free world would be shocked if the Jaguars didn't roll over the Titans. I, I I'm exaggerating, obviously. I mean, anything can happen. Mike Vrabel's a great coach. All that I get it, but this the Titans' fall from grace has been just stunning. But I and so I think the NFL thought you know, we do not want to have a game midway through the second quarter that's 24 to nothing. And it looks like it's going to get a lot worse. First of all, Tennessee and Jacksonville is one of the worst, has a chance to have one of the worst ratings uh, in a long time for a primetime game in that position. So I think, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the NFL didn't want to put that game on Sunday. And then secondly, look, I just don't think the NFL is going to turn down a win and in game with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. They don't like what they have to deal with. And the fact that Detroit is either going to be playing for, for something or isn't that's really unfair. And they realize that, but I think all things considered, I would have made this same decision if I were the NFL miles. The other thing about, this weekend that is kind of interesting to me is that, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers on Thanksgiving, we basically had given up on both of them. Yeah. Now this segment, this little, <laughs> this little chunk here, I believe that the two teams that have the best chance to be the seventh seed right now, one Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers need two things to happen. They need the New York Jets to beat the Miami Dolphins, which that's tough. That's going to be a real tough one. But And they also need the Buffalo Bills to beat the New England Patriots. That's probably more likely that that's going to happen, but still it's no sure thing because you have no idea what sort of uh, uh, impact uh, the Monday night situation is going to have on the Bills. But anyway, I'll take Buffalo there in the AF, or I'm sorry, Pittsburgh there in the AFC. I'll take Green Bay in the NFC. I just think the way they've been playing the last month uh, and the fact that they are going to be playing at home for a playoff spot, uh, I just like their chances. Who are your two? I, I mean, I really agree with you with Pittsburgh, and it's it's kind of wild to see the ascent that Pittsburgh has had over these last few weeks. I mean, you, you want to talk about since the bye week, the, the Steelers have been very, very good, and we're seeing Kenny Pickett grow up right in front of our eyes, you know? I mean, he is not necessarily just playing like a rookie anymore, and the way that they've been able to finish games with him driving down the field, making big-time throws, that's really encouraging, not just for this season, but for the Pittsburgh Steelers going forward into the future so i i certainly can see them getting that seventh seed in the afc 
But over on the NFC side, I don't think it's a given that Seattle's going to beat the Rams. The Rams may have something for Seattle. The Rams have played Seattle very competitively basically since Sean McVay's been there. I mean, you could actually even go back to when Jeff Fisher was coaching the Rams and they still played Seattle very competitively. And with Baker Mayfield playing this game instead of, I think um, he wasn't there when they were playing Seattle before when they played them at home, whether it was uh, John Wolford or Bryce Perkins, I can't quite remember who was starting that game for him, but it wasn't, I don't think it was Matthew Stafford. This game has a chance to be competitive. And that means that this game really could mean something for the last one between the Detroit lions and the green Bay Packers. And if that's the case, I mean, Detroit's been playing as good as anybody, especially on offense lately. And I, I, I really could see Dan Campbell's kneecap biters going in there to Lambeau and biting off some kneecaps and making it to the postseason. I, I think I can see it too, Miles. I, I can definitely. I don't care whether Detroit needs the game or not. I could yeah. see them going in and winning. My only issue, I don't necessarily think Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for three fifty and they're going to put up thirty eight points. Right. But what I do think is this reborn defense allowing an average in the teens over the last four games. Yep. I just think this defense is so much better than, than it was earlier in the year. Agreed. That is what is, if the Packers make the playoffs, I'm going to take a bow to that defense. Not yes. necessarily. It's not going to be because of Aaron Rodgers. Look, he he's playing well, yes. but it's that defense that is really, really going nuts. And Miles. I would add, I would add yeah. one more element to that, Peter. Go ahead. So across the sideline from the Detroit team is going to be Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry. And those two guys know Jared Goff very well because they coached him on the Los Angeles Rams. Matt LaFleur was his yeah. offensive coordinator in 2017. Joe Barry was the linebackers coach and assistant head coach for the LA Rams for basically all of Jared Goff's tenure with that team. So they know him well. They know what's going to give him fits, and that could help them even more on the defensive side. Yeah, that's a really, really, that's very smart. That's good. Um, Miles, here's how we're going to end. I, I'm going to I'm going to let you have the first take on this. Okay. Um, but I think this morning, I'm glad we didn't, just to let people know, we usually record this podcast uh, nine o'clock Tuesday morning. I mean, there have been some weeks when we don't do it, but usually our template is to record this nine o'clock Tuesday morning. And this week I said, you know, we just need to wait and we need to see what happens during the course of the day. Really not a lot has happened, but we didn't know that uh, 12 hours ago. So I, 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 ju- I just wanted to wait. But, but having said all that, I I think one of the things that is beneficial by waiting is that you're really now starting to think about, okay, what's next? And what really should the NFL do? What will the NFL do? Will uh, Bengals bills get played at all? Should it get played at all? Um, will the schedule be pushed back and, and all that? And if, the game is not played. And if they simply have the Bengals and Bills not play another game, what happens when the, uh, in the AFC, 
what happens when the Buffalo Bills, if the Buffalo Bills finish 13 and three, Kansas City finishes 14 and three, yet Buffalo beat Kansas City in Kansas City during the regular season. Is it really equitable to give um, the to give Kansas City home field in the AFC? Now, I just want to preface. I'm going to give you your shot, uh, which I'm very interested in here because I have no idea what it is. But there's one thing that I feel very strongly about. One of the reasons why I don't have a I'm not going to have a a, a hugely strong opinion on this is is very simply because if we say that we're really concerned about the health of DeMar Hamlin, you know, that has to be foremost in, in, in our minds. And if we are so concerned about that, then on the other hand, if this game isn't played, whatever the result is, is not going to please everybody. Right. It just isn't. There are going to be some fan bases, I'm sure some front offices, that are going to be very upset by whatever the NFL decides to do. But I want you to think, if you made the statement, we just need to be concerned about DeMar Hamlin, this has got to be our priority, then don't bitch and moan if your ox gets gored. Because there's going to be no perfect solution to this. Exactly. Anyway. Miles, take the floor. What would you do? Well, I, I think you're right. There is no perfect solution. So uh, unfortunately, what that means is if uh, Buffalo in Cincinnati only plays 16 games, we cannot assume one team would have won over the other. We can't. I mean, you know, Cincinnati looked great on their first drive. Buffalo went down the field, but they scored a field goal. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It was two drives, right? but we can't assume that Cincinnati was going to lose that game because if Buffalo wins, then yeah, they would have had the inside track to the one seed, but we can't assume that. And we also can't assume that because what if Cincinnati wins, then they would have clinched the AFC North already. But if they lost, then Baltimore would have had a chance to win the AFC North next week. So no, nothing is going to be truly equitable from that standpoint. So I, I think it's just, what is the best that you can do? Well, there's no contest in that game. Their records are what their records are. And if Kansas city wins against Las Vegas on Saturday, then they should clinch the number one seed. I don't really think it's fair, but nothing about this situation is fair. And honestly, what it does is it sets up Buffalo and Cincinnati to play again in the divisional round, if they win, if they each win their games in the wild card round is two and three seeds. It's, you know, what's amazing miles. I I'm going to tell you that in my opinion, I would only differ in one way. If I were Roger Goodell, I would think about this. I've thought about it a lot today and I'm not, positive that it is either right or fair but i would consider this if the bills are 13 and 3 and if the if the uh if kansas city is 14 and 3 keeping in mind buffalo went to kansas city in october and beat uh kansas city yeah i think that i would consider strongly a coin flip 
to determine home field and the the for, and the number one seed in the AFC. Hmm. And before everyone just screams and shouts and and all that, look, what's more fair? Uh, the Bills being the two seed automatically because they're a half game back of a team playing one fewer game, even though they beat that team fair and square in the regular season. And it could be that at the end of the day, you just say, them's the breaks. And I would understand that. As I said, everything, anything that the league decides, there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to be really angry about it. Um, but in my opinion, I don't think anybody should be really angry about anything. Yeah. Um, we have to keep the eye on the prize and the prize in this case is the health and well-being of Buffalo safety, DeMar Hamlin. Um, look, this was an odd, different, sort of a, uh, a, a bit of a painful podcast. Uh, but Miles, thanks so much for, for hanging in and doing this a little bit later than usual. <clears throat> I hope we enlighten people a little bit on what exactly is, is happening right now and maybe how to look at this through a little bit of a different lens. And the only thing I would say, you're obviously, you're very likely a fan of a certain team. And if you're a fan of any team at the top of the AFC, the Bengals, the Bills, Kansas City, what whoever you're a fan of, um, just remember that, you know, everything in life is not incredibly fair and equitable. And whatever happens in the coming weeks, the most important thing, keep the most important thing, the most important thing. And that is, um, you know, good thoughts and good karma, good prayers sent to Buffalo safety, DeMar Hamlin. And that's it for the Peter King podcast presented by Salesforce. My name's Peter King. I'm happy to have you uh, listening, experiencing, watching. And I'm joined, as always, by Miles Simmons. We will be back with a regular season closing podcast right here. clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time because messes happen because <laughs> my charcoal mask great because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink this is what I get for multitasking Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky <clears throat> hello hey Janice I am so sorry I thought I was on mute <laughs> no we don't need to reschedule I'll just stay off camera oh yeah that happens so start clean with Clorox use Clorox products as directed